Welcome to Inside India by UTI International. I'm your host, Ben Haywood. Join me as I embark on an exciting journey through the new and modern India. From the Dabawalas to the Tatas and the Ambanis, let's see what the future may hold for the world's largest democracy. In this series, we feature conversations with business and economic leaders who have lived and breathed the story of India as they tell us their version of what makes this such a compelling and exciting growth opportunity in the 21st century. Stay tuned. India's healthcare sector was worth about 160 billion US dollars in 2017 and is estimated to double to around 370 billion dollars by 2022. The country's healthcare market has become one of the largest sectors in terms of revenue and employment and the industry is growing at a rapid pace. India has a universal multiplayer healthcare model that is paid for by a combination of public and private health insurance alongside tax-funded public hospitals. However, healthcare spend per capita in India remains one of the lowest in the world, making it one of the great long-term growth opportunities for the country's budding entrepreneurs. In today's episode, I'm delighted to be speaking with Avni Singh, CEO of Spice Health and daughter of Ajay Singh, founder of one of India's largest low-cost airlines, SpiceJet. At just 24 years of age, Avni quit her job at McKinsey to launch Spice Health in November 2020 amid the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. Concerned with the high cost of virus detection, Avni and the Spice Health team launched the business to offer disruptively low price and accessible COVID-19 testing and has so far conducted over a million tests as of August 2021, making them one of the fastest growing diagnostics companies in India. Avni's fascinating story, to me, embodies a modern India as this young female entrepreneur is striving to improve the life and health of millions of people one test at a time. I'm Ben Haywood, and you're listening to Inside India. Well, Avni, welcome. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's a real pleasure to have you speaking with us today. If you could, before we get into Spice Health and all the wonderful things you're doing right now, could you just take us back a few years to your school, tell our listeners what it was like growing up in the Indian education system I know then you went and studied abroad in the US at Stanford. Did you always have aspirations to go and study abroad? I suppose how you would contrast the US and India to very different education experiences. Yeah, thank you, Ben, for having me on the podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. I studied in New Delhi, India, which of course is the capital of the country. I went to modern school, which is a very Indian school here. And I had a great experience at school. I think the Indian education system is very different from the education system in the US. And it gave me an opportunity to be involved in a lot of different activities in sports, in extracurriculars, in clubs and societies, and gain a lot of leadership experience very early on in life because of the nature of my school and the nature of my education. I got to study economics, mathematics, psychology, political science. So I got a wide spectrum covered and made really great friendships and really enjoyed my experience overall. And I think it really helped me prepare for the real world. And after the 12th grade, I went to Stanford. I did my undergraduate from Stanford and I also did a master's from Stanford and I loved it. It was an adjustment when I first went there, going there from a country like India, having studied not in an international school in India, 
you know, doesn't exactly gear you for the education system in the US, but I think that it does gear you for the real world and it does gear you to be your own independent person and to be a leader. So while I had a challenging few months, I overall came to love it. And most of my friends were actually not from India at Stanford. My closest friends were from all over the world. And I think it helped me gain a lot of exposure and a great experience and get exposed to many different cultures, learn a lot. I studied economics and psychology. And then for my master's, I did public policy. I did a lot of extracurriculars. I rushed a sorority, which was very unlike what someone from India would typically do. But I made a lot of my close friends through that experience. I also got my private pilot license there. So I think I got very comfortable to be able to explore and get involved in different activities. And I think it really helped me grow as a person. Awesome. And so plans then maybe to go into the family business and fly planes of testing and all that business comes to an end one day? So I think I dabbled in a lot of different fields. While I was at Stanford, I thought for a while I'd work in psychology. Then I thought I'd work in policy. I interned at JetBlue, which was, of course, aviation. And I also worked at the United Nations. I was going to work at the World Bank after graduation. So I was just figuring myself out. I don't think I really knew what I was doing, but I'm very lucky and privileged to have had the opportunity to be able to figure it out, to gain so much exposure and experience that I finally landed on something that I love. And I did consider joining the family business after working in policy in DC for a while. But I think that before I went to DC and before I actually joined my job, I came home for the summer. And there's so much opportunity and so much potential in a country like India. And it wouldn't be fair for me to not have explored that and to have moved straight to the US after spending five years there right after school, because I'd never really lived in India as an adult. I never really seen the kind of impact I could make as an adult, as a working individual in this country. So I decided pretty last minute to change my plans and move back to India, worked at the World Bank. I worked at the UN for a while, worked in consulting at McKinsey for a while. And when the pandemic hit, it was very clear that I had to do something to help because I think that impact is something that has always driven me. And so I got involved in testing and built Spice Health from ground up. And I think it's been very rewarding to see the kind of difference that I've been able to make so far in this country. And I hope to continue um, doing that. The amount of things you've crammed into such a, a relatively short space of time, putting everyone else to shame over here, but it's an amazing story so far. And I guess just exploring Spice Health, we touched on it a little bit there, but the various different reasons for setting Spice Health up. What was the opportunity as you saw it last year with the pandemic in full swing in India? And how does it fit into the broader Spice Group umbrella? So I was working in consulting and it was, of course, work from home at the time. I was on my laptop the whole day or on calls the whole day. And there were just people around me that were suffering, that were dying. And because through my dad, I would accompany him to a couple of meetings. And I did start to realize that India is not as equipped as it should be to handle a pandemic of this scale, especially if it were to get a lot worse than what it was at that time. As we saw, you know, with the Delta variant and in the second wave, we did not have enough testing capacity in India. One RT-PCR test was about 2,400 rupees. Which for my listeners is about 25 pounds. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, it would be. And it wasn't affordable to the 
average Indian. And that made it very difficult to afford even one RT-PCR test. And people typically had to do multiple. And you needed to test and track to be able to contain the virus. So we just locked down the whole country and couldn't really do much else about it. And also, there was no testing available in remote parts of the country. Metro cities had some capacity. Remote parts had none. People would have to travel to the lab or to distant locations, uh, to metro cities and get tests done. And it was just not sustainable. I came up with this concept of a mobile laboratory. And the idea was, why should patient go to the lab? Why can't the lab go to the patient? And why can't we make testing available in remote parts of the country as well? And at that time, my intention was really to just make it accessible. And when I started to do my research, I realized that the cost of a test really doesn't come out to be that much. And if we scale it up a lot, we can actually drive that down a lot. So we launched Spice Health and we said, look, we'll do an RT-PCR test in 499 rupees. And so we you know, immediately brought it down from initial 4,800 to like 80%, so about five pounds. And that was pretty disruptive for the industry. And we said one mobile lab can do about 3,000 tests in one day, which was, of course, a large number, managed to get the accreditations and everything. And we also said that we'll be able to put this lab on short notice in any remote location required. So this gained a lot of traction from government. Of course, I was in touch with a lot of these government folks, so that helped as well. And it gained a lot of traction. The home minister and the health minister came and inaugurated our first lab. And we launched in Delhi, where things were getting pretty out of control at the time. And we became the largest testers for Delhi government um, of any private lab. In the second wave, we did about 70% of Delhi government's testing. And we've been able to scale pretty quickly, which has been great. So now we're present in remote areas of the south of the country, remote districts that I'd never even heard of before. To be honest, we're trying to get to difficult terrain like Jammu and Kashmir and Ladakh and the Northeast. And it's been incredibly rewarding and incredibly impactful. Yeah, it's such a brilliant story. And for those that kind of don't know, SpiceJet, which is obviously your father's business, the idea of the game there is accessible, affordable air travel for all. So I guess this kind of fits into the broader Spice branding, affordable, practical testing for all. Right. So actually, when I had launched, I had said that we want to be like the spice jet of healthcare because I wanted to follow that same ideology of low cost, affordable and high quality solutions. And that's the pitch that I give even now. And that's something that I believe in even now, even beyond COVID, I think, because in a country like India, especially where the largest chunk of the population is in the middle income range, I feel that they get neglected, especially in healthcare. And of course, that was true of travel as well. People just took trains. No one thought that they could fly someday. And the same with healthcare. A lot of these large chains cater to the top end population. And then there's local labs catering to the low end where quality is suspect. There's no one really looking out for those middle guys, which is the largest chunk of our population. Absolutely. I think it's a phenomenal opportunity. And actually, healthcare even beyond the pandemic in a country like India, where incomes are growing and per capita spend on things like healthcare and pharmaceuticals going forward is only going to increase. So have you got plans, ideas maybe in your mind for Spice Health beyond the pandemic? Hopefully we'll see the back of this thing relatively soon. What's next for Spice Health? Right now, we just got out of the second wave in India a few months ago. 
which was, of course, pretty brutal. So the focus was a lot on COVID. The focus on COVID remains for the reason that we are preparing for the third wave. So we are building a lot more COVID laboratories. We are providing a lot more COVID solutions. And parallelly, we are also working on end-to-end pathology services, non-communicable diseases, cancer solutions, infectious diseases like TB and things like that. The government of India has a plan to eradicate TB in the country by 2025. And we'd like to play a large role in that mission and hope to achieve it sometime soon. I think that the biggest problem in India, you know, India is still at a stage where prevention isn't as much a priority. Cure is more the priority here because there are so many NCDs out there. There are so many infectious diseases out there. Cancer is not detected early enough and a large spend goes on cancer treatment once it's detected at a late stage. And especially in these inaccessible parts of the country, there are no facilities, there are no MRI machines, there's no cancer screening. So that's where we really want to get in and provide high quality, low cost solutions in inaccessible and remote areas and try to eradicate a lot of these diseases early on. It's an awesome mission statement. And I really look forward to your journey and watching your journey evolve in the years to come. It's super interesting. We've touched on him a little bit, but your dad is one of the country's best known entrepreneurs. I know you sit next to him in the office there. What's it been like having him as a mentor and you absolutely are your own business or your own woman? How do you kind of differ in styles? You've clearly probably been able to learn a lot from him growing up. Yeah, it'd just be interesting to explore that theme a little bit. Yeah, I think that my dad is a major part of the reason that I am who I am today. Growing up, of course, he was a huge mentor, friend, and you know we were very, very close growing up. Uh, we've always been very close because we've been a very small, tight-knit family. I was an only child until about five years ago. Uh, we've been pretty tight-knit. And he's always let me follow my own path and given me the security that he's there if I fail or if I need any help. And he's been the same at work as well. When I told him that I don't want to take this opportunity in DC, I want to move back to India, I want to start my own thing. All he said was, look, it's going to be tough. But if it's something that you believe in and if it's something that you think you can do, then I'll support you. And that's what he has done. Even in the business, he's never told me what to do. And I've taken a lot of help and support from SpiceJet to get started. SpiceJet's teams really helped me with my logistics, with setting up, because we did set up very quickly, very large scale, very quickly. And I needed that infrastructure support. I needed that manpower support. And they were always there. And my dad always told them that, look, if she makes a decision that doesn't go well, we are there to help out, but we will not decide on her behalf. And I think that's a lesson that's always helped me to be confident in my own decisions, to be secure and to know that if I'm doing something with good intentions, something good is to come out of it. And I guess, you know, taking this on a stage further, you've alluded to it a few times now, but you've made a conscious decision to stay in India, not to go back to the States. I just wonder how you and maybe your peers from your batchmates from class, how you view the opportunity set in India now and going forward throughout the course of your career. Where do you think India will get to in the next 20 years, 30 years as incomes rise? Are most of your friends staying in India to explore opportunities in India or are they still looking to move abroad? What's the general consensus? I think there's tremendous opportunity in India. I think there's so much innovation in this country. There's so many new ideas. There are so many young people. And I've seen that just in healthcare. There are so many cool ideas out there and so many people doing cool work. And the biggest challenge is that a lot of these ideas get stuck in laboratories in this case and don't get commercialized quickly enough. And I think that 
a large part of that reason could be that there aren't enough people that study in high-end institutes across the world and come back and try to implement what they've learned in their own country. And I see an argument for that. I see why someone would want to move out of India, but I think that it is so, so rewarding to move back to your country and really be able to make that kind of impact because there's so much opportunity and potential if you really explore it and tap it. And as far as my friends are concerned, I think I have a mix. Some of my friends have decided to stay back in the U.S., or the UK voluntarily. Entry-level jobs, pay scale might be better, so they feel that maybe it's a better idea. But then I also have some friends who've made a conscious decision to move back after studying at such institutes for the reason that I have. And then, of course, I have a lot of friends that studied in India that, to the large part, stayed in India. So it's really a mix, and it's really person-to-person dependent. But if there's something that I have to say about it, I would say that it's definitely the thing to do. Move back and try to make an impact if you can huge opportunity all over the country. And yeah, obviously clearly a part of the India story as well, albeit here in Europe, but it's something that I'm incredibly excited about. I guess another theme that would be remiss of me not to talk to you about is this notion of being a young, incredibly impressive female entrepreneur. How, it's early days of course, but how have you found the journey so far launching and growing your company as a young woman? Who are your kind of idols? Who do you look up to? Of course, we're seeing more and more shining lights from the entrepreneurial world, women, super impressive women of Indian origin as well. Yeah, I'd just like to pick your brains on that. I don't think that saying that being a woman entrepreneur, especially in a country like India, is very easy because it's not. It comes with its own challenges and it would be unfair to say that there's no difference and everyone's the same. It does come with its own challenges. I think it takes a lot more to be heard. It takes a lot more to be taken seriously. And not only being a woman, but being a young woman, it does take more. So it's been challenging in its own ways. But I think that the way to deal with that is to really believe in what you want to say and your idea and to really stand up for yourself and say, look, if I am saying something, I deserve to say it and I deserve to be heard. And if you're confident in what you're saying and if you're confident that you are someone that deserves to be heard, other people will hear you. There's only so much that someone can stop you from speaking your mind. So it does come with its own challenges, of course, but I think that there are ways to tackle it. And I think that there's so much potential for women and there are women doing such incredible work here and women just have the ability and the capability to take on so much on their plates and think critically about so much. So just in my field, we all know Kiran Shaw, she's leader in my field. And of course, that's someone I look up to in this particular field. We just had the Olympics and the majority of the medals won from India were women and women are just incredible. And I think that more and more women need to get more and more confident in themselves. I totally agree. And Kiran Shaw is someone I'd love to to speak to. Do you speak to her? And have you had a chance to interact with her so far? I have not interacted with her personally. She did tweet about me, though. So I was on top of the world. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. A question that I ask all of my guests, and we've spoken about it a little bit, is how do you want my listeners to think differently about India. You've obviously lived in the US, so you probably spent your life explaining or trying to explain to people, no, India is not like that actually, or no, we don't do that there. Or So what kind of myths would you bust or what kind of preconceptions would you like to change? Or how would you like my listeners to think differently about India going forward? Yeah. So I've definitely heard a lot of myths about India. I think People do tend to, and no offense to anyone uh, for this, but I I have heard personally in my experience that people tend to think of India as a backward country 
And I've been asked all sorts of ridiculous questions in the US when I was there about our lifestyle and about the way we live. And I think that I just want to say that India is not that. India is innovation. India is youth. India is technology. And again, there is so much potential and opportunity and creativity and entrepreneurship in this country. And there is such a powerful young population that has the potential to do so much in a country like this. And I hope that people around the world view India as all that and more and as a potential for growth and opportunity and potentially investments and not the backward part of the country that people tend to focus on. I think that's a really nice place to leave things. Avni, thank you so much for coming on and talking with me today. I've really enjoyed it. And as I said, I really look forward to watching what's next for Spice Health and you guys continue the great work that you're doing there in India. Thank you so much, Ben. Great chatting with you as well. You have been listening to Inside India with me, Ben Haywood. If you like what you have heard, make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or indeed, wherever you might listen. Don't forget to leave a review and a rating and tell us about your favorite episode. We will be back with a brand new episode in two weeks' time. Until then, stay safe.